founded in 1966 to challenge police brutality, the Black Panther Party was one of the most recognizable and influential movements of the 60s. Former Black Panthers Van Taylor and Akinsanya Kambong join us to share their stories and perspectives on the movement and its relevance in 2023. Van, how has the legacy of the Black Panther Party shaped the current climate of activism in the United States? Well, I found it uh, very interesting in that uh, in uh, 2008, when Barack Obama uh, first uh, start running for president, um, I felt an uh, old kinship come up in thinking that there was many things that uh, we did as a party and an organization that made uh, his run uh, possible, and not only a run, but a win. Um, there's uh, gun legislation that's on the books now that due to incidents uh, right here in the state capitol uh, that uh, took effect on that, uh, as well as one of the biggest things, I think, is the uh, feeding of children in schools. As you know, the uh, Black Panther Party started and was instrumental in the free breakfast program. So that's something that you see uh, throughout the country each and every day, um, all the way up to high schools. Akin Sonia, I, I, I'd like uh, you to respond to the same question. Given all of the places that you've been in, in activism and arts and, and other places as well, what do you see as the impact of the work that you and others did in the party on the current activism that you see here in the U.S.? Well, one of the things that drew me to the Black Panther Party was the name Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. And we had been looking at all the, and, and this is one of the things that I, nobody knew because we didn't have cell phones, the amount of police brutality and murder of Black people in this country that was taking place. And one of the reasons I was able to get so much of it was because I was in Vietnam. And we had a battalion, and out of the, about, I don't know how many men in the battalion, maybe 5,000 or something like that, but we had about 30 to 50 African-Americans who used to meet once a week. And we would talk about letters from home, and every week there was another guy getting a letter where the police had killed his cousin, his brother, his friend, or his uncle, or somebody got killed by the police. This is in St. Louis, this is in Detroit, this is all over the country because we had people. And then the one thing that I really remember is a guy from Oakland, his parents sent him the first Black Panther uh, paper. I think it was something about Denzel Dow being murdered. And I remember that and we talked about it and that's the first time I heard of the Black Panther Party. I was sitting in Vietnam. I had no idea that I would be drawn into this movement when I got back to the States. I became the Lieutenant of Culture for the Sacramento chapter of the Black Panther Party. And a lot of the work that I did was the cartoons. I illustrated the 10-point platform and program, and that was what the party was built around, those 10 points. But nobody ever talks about those things, and those things 
people are still fighting to make those things a reality to this day. Let, let, me, let me let me just jump in on, on that, Akinsanya. Okay. Because as as both of you are aware, there uh, the whole issue of violence against African Americans, particularly African American men, by the police, is an issue even in this day and age. And recent events seem to mirror that same point in the original ten point plan from way back in 1966. If, if you were with your all of your colleagues today that you were in the party with at that time, would they be surprised that we're still having this conversation today? Well, I, I don't think so. Um, I think that uh, if we just transplanted how we were thinking, uh, then and transported it to now, there was little faith in that um, things would change just on their own as that gave way to saying that, you know, by any means necessary, as much as uh, we wanted to do everything um, uh, peacefully, uh, take upon some of the things that uh, the uh, civil rights uh, movement did, uh, but uh, at, by the time that uh, Huey put together the platform and specifically what happened to him, and then resulting how our offices were raided continually and uh, different uh, brothers and sisters were incarcerated on trumped up charges and stuff. I think we had very little uh, faith that things would change on their own. So I, I don't think it would be a much uh, surprise to them. Akinsanya? Well, I agree. I don't think I don't think we had any faith in the system changing. Uh, that, that's one of the reasons why we felt that we had to have an alternate plan. And that's one of the reasons why we called ourselves the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. So many of us were being killed by the police back then but there was no account of it. We didn't have cell phones where you could record it. All we had was word of mouth. And I guess I had an advantage because being in Vietnam with, with brothers from all over the country, you're able to see all this stuff taking place all over the country. And there's no way I would have known that if I hadn't uh, been associated with all these guys from all these different places and all these different cities and the degree of it. There's no record of it. There's no account of it. And the, we were vilified. The Black Panther Party was vilified because of our position and our stand on police brutality was the main thing. The other points on that platform and program, people still ignore decent housing, uh, uh, education, uh, being exempt from military service, all those different things on that 10 point platform program we were fighting for, and they still haven't come about. They still haven't. Hmm. We still I, need to I, carry I the fight. Actually, Akinsani, I want to ask you about that vilification. J. Edver, Edgar Hoover, the, the longest serving head of the FBI, actually, I think he was the first director of the FBI, called the Black Panther Party the single most uh, dangerous and greatest threat to the nation's internal security. 
And the thing that he was most focused on was the uh, breakfast program. Exactly. What was that all about? Uh, First of all, when you look at the breakfast program and most of the programs that we were trying to implement were socialist programs. They were counter to the capitalist economic system. And we felt that if we showed the people the benefits of social programs where we put the people's interests ahead of the interests of the ruling class and those who own and control the means of production, that this would make the people see it and see the things that they would benefit by implementing these programs. Uh, the, the government, and he, he attacked the breakfast program because the U.S. government was so embarrassed by us feeding the children that we fed with that breakfast program, they had to start taking and feeding breakfast and, and, and lunch to children, low-income children all over the country. They took this up, and now they're the ones that get credit for it. Nobody knows that the Black Panther Party is who forced the government to do that. We're the ones who forced them to do that. Wait wait a minute. So you're saying that today's reduced and free lunch program that school children all over the country benefit from its genesis was the free lunch or the the breakfast program for kids that the Black Panthers started? Yes, of course. That's it. I would uh, add, uh, as a 15-year-older, I got a uh, visit with my mother's uh, permission to them. They had uh, contacted my mother first. Um, Two FBI agents at uh, my home. And uh, they came in, two just very typical uh, looking uh, white gentlemen. And uh, they assured me that they didn't have any guns on them. They opened up their jackets uh, to see the front of them quite naturally. They had their guns in the back or, you know, uh, uh, foot holsters or whatever, but uh, they were wanting to know why would a good kid like me want to be involved with uh, something like that? And immediately I started talking about, well, you know, the breakfast program, we feed kids and work says, oh, well, that that can't compare uh, to anything about what the government does. We have... uh, uh, spend millions of dollars for welfare for your people and so forth. And that's just a drop in the bucket. But um, I think that also just by the fact of that we were able to go out into the community and get stores like Safeway at the time and uh, different uh, other uh, mainstays uh, to actually donate to us and which they did. That's where we got our excess, uh, that's where we got the foods from, from many of the large chains, as well as with the uh, start of uh, COINTELPRO, one of the main focuses was to um, uh, denutralize the legitimacy of the things that we were doing. So they were sowing misinformation so how could you disparage this organization that's out there uh, taking care of little kids and feeding little kids, and at the same time, them looking at that we were out there uh, wanting to shoot them and other things like that? So uh, 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 help some of us 
aren't really aware of COININTELPRO. So can you tell us what that was and, and what its impact was? It was it, a counterintelligence well, program, uh, part of the FBI, where they infiltrated the Black Panther Party, and they're still doing the same thing with these organizations, Black Lives Matter. COINTELPRO is still at work. What they, they what and, and this is personal to me because they took that Black Panther coloring book that I created and they they said that we were using the coloring book to teach the kids how to kill pigs before we fed them, which was a lie. But that's what the FBI said. And people believe that. And you know, the that Never mind. I mean, I, I don't even want to get into talking about that coloring. No, no, come on with it. Come on with it. All right, well, that's one of the things that COINTELPRO did, and that landed me in the Sacramento County Jail on death row, fighting for my life. That coloring book. They attacked us. They had a subversive list, and my name, Mark Kemer, was number 18 on the FBI's subversive list. And all that was behind the artwork that I did for the Black Panther Party. Hmm. Uh, there were so many people that infiltrated the organization that were working for the FBI. That caused many of us to distrust each other. They were saying that the guy who did the coloring book was an FBI agent. This is stuff that was bullshit. It wasn't true. But this is the kind of things that they said to turn people against us, but anyone who knew me knew that I was a sincere, dedicated Panther. And I put my life on the line for our people. Same way I did in Vietnam. Now, was... you, now you were in Sacramento, correct? Yes, I was. Okay, and Van, the experience that Akinsanya is speaking to about the infiltration and people not trusting each other, was that the same, was your, your experience similar? up in the Bay Area? Well, uh, not only uh, in the Bay Area because of uh, my position in the uh, party. And I must say, I was 15 years old when I uh, first joined the Black Panther Party and the majority of uh, the things that I was involved in was uh, as a teenager. I remember the thing that I wanted to do was uh, I couldn't wait until I was 18 years old so that if I did get arrested, uh, for something major, I'd be able to go to big boys jail opposed to uh, the juvenile. Okay, but uh, my information is nationwide because being an aide to the Central Committee, being uh, Bobby Seale's personal bodyguard, uh, being around Huey uh, and all the rest of them, uh, I was privy to information that was going on to the different chapters throughout uh, the country. Any of the a uh, big, large arrests. Uh, the New York 21, 21 Panthers accused of bombings and this and that. They found out that, uh, you know, uh, 20 of the people that uh, they say was doing things were agents of the uh, police department. Uh, Bobby Seals. Bobby Seals uh, spent all that uh, time in Connecticut in jail because of a uh, agent provocateur, George Sams that uh, ended up murdering one of our, um, you know, Panther members. So it was full-fledged. Uh, it also uh, was um, uh, sanctioned by Congress. They had to go to Congress to be able to pass a bill 
to be able to do the things that they did uh, in COINTELPRO because it was CIA-type tactics being used uh, here on, uh, you know, uh, home ground uh, here inside America. Hmm. I, you know, you talk about uh, those types of tactics. Akinsanya, uh, when in, in Sacramento, there is that famous photograph of the Panthers at the state capitol. The, uh, and, and the reaction throughout the country to seeing the Panthers on the steps of the state capitol uh, created like this uproar all over the place. What was behind that? Well, when, when they went to the capitol, I was in Vietnam. That was in 1967. And when I got back and got out of the Marine Corps, that's when I became a member of the, of the, of the Black Panther Party. There was no chapter in Sacramento when they went to the Capitol. But people that saw those Panthers with the guns at the Capitol, that's what inspired uh, the people who founded the chapter of the Black Panther Party in Sacramento. Uh, Brother Charles Brunson, Omawali, he was the founder of the Sacramento chapter. And he was uh, the one, mm -hmm. one of the ones that recruited me into the party. Um, we, you look at that whole uh, uh, Mulford Act that they, that they passed, the gun control thing they were passing, that was because of the Black Panther Party. They were trying to control the guns that the Panthers had. And that's one of the things that stopped the police brutality. I had some students do research uh, from 1966 to 1969. And the murder of African people in this country by the police was serious up until 1966. Between 66 and 69, there was a dramatic de decrease in the murder of our people in this country. And that was because of the Black Panther Party. Okay, well, hold on. That begs a question though. And, I, and I'm gonna put it to, to both of you. Akinsanya, please respond first, which is this. Okay. <laughs> so from the perspective of the Black Panthers, and even up until this moment today, is gun control a, a benefit or a detriment to Black people in this country? Well, I would say I believe in gun control, but first we have to take the guns from the police, and then everybody else give their guns up, because they're the biggest threat to us, is the police. They're organized. And they try to make it look like gangs. To us, the police is a big old organized gang that's against our people. And that's what they're doing. Uh, that boy that was killed the other day um, in uh, Memphis. Tyree Nichols. from Sacramento. He was from Sacramento. And then there was another young man in Sacramento that was killed by the police. And, and you keep hearing this. This, is, this thing been going on since I was there. So that's one of the things why we had to do something about it. We would follow the police when they came to Oak Park. And when they pulled somebody over, we'd jump out of the car and we'd stand there with our weapons. And the police got to the point where they stopped coming to Oak Park. They wouldn't come in Oak Park at all unless they were four deep in the car. Van, what do you, uh, what's your perspective on gun control as a former Black Panther? Oh, a um, little bit different from my concern, but I certainly hear what he's saying. Uh, 
I, I'm an advocate of uh, gun control, but the thing about it is, is it has to be the same control uh, for uh, my white brother as uh, uh, it is for me. Uh, I, I think, you know, the guns are part of this country's culture, and we see the color of the culture, the cowboys and all that kind of stuff and everything. But, you know, if you have any relatives uh, that were from the South and so forth and everything, guns were just as part of their existence on a daily basis as any of their white counterparts because they used them to hunt with and uh, provide uh, food for the family. Um, at this particular point right now, um, I think that, um, you know, the country and the people that um, are, are gravitating to guns feel more comfortable with um, non-minorities, non-Blacks having guns than us because it's too easy uh, to just put it into a stereotype. Uh, that's why you have so many uh, black police officers uh, being shot by mistake by their white counterparts. Uh, New York had bad problem with that. They have what, 50,000 police officers and you know there's uh, divisions that guys don't even know that they exist and so forth. And they've tried to help out when they were uh, off duty or whatever, and end up getting shot themselves because the norm, that culture overtakes that white cop is that there's a black man with a gun, not one of my uh, other fellow officers. And just to kind of go a little bit further, Huey uh, in his uh, later years even said that if he had the foresight when it first came up, he would have left the emphasis of the guns out of the main platform of the party and focus more on the people's uh, programs because uh, the guns had such an overpowering uh, effect of negativity that it drew in some people from the community that was just about the guns and the violence. And then it caused uh, the others that were outside of the community to point the finger of CC, we told you they were bad people, just a bunch of thugs running around with guns. All right. Well, I, I think in, in our, go ahead, Arkansas, you're very- I quick. think that initially, I think that when it started, when the party started, the guns were necessary. I think that that was, and I agree that later on, uh, things changed and the need for the guns changed. But I think that what happened is now, when you look at guns today, these people don't have a rifle and a shotgun. They have automatic weapons. The weapons that these people are using nowadays are weapons of war. This is the kind of stuff you use in Vietnam, AR-15, uh, M-16, uh, AK-47, these are weapons for, 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 for murdering humans. These are war weapons. They need to be all taken from the hands of the people. I don't mind if people have a rifle and a shotgun for hunting. There's nothing wrong with that. But when they start getting these AR-15s and M-16s and AK-47s, when they start getting these weapons, 
they're preparing for war. I agree and if you look at it, a black person can't even buy a, we a weapon like that. You're right. We were tempted to do it several times in this country. People with no record. You let a black person go in a gun store and try to buy AR-15. He cannot. To buy AR-15, you have to be white in this country. Yeah. I've seen I've 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 had people try going it. to the gun stores, uh, there again, <laughs> uh, by the time I got to 18, I could buy, you know, a rifle legally, still not a, a handgun, but uh, going in and we were so uh, naive, not even realizing that uh, the guy behind the counter was an off-duty cop. That's right. So, you know, they're feeding information about, oh, yeah. And we didn't even bother to uh, get into civilian clothes. We might still be in there with our berets on, <laughs> buttons and all that. And I remember down in San Leandro, uh, we had just bought some guns. We drove away. That we, we used to call it getting vamped on. You know, two or three police cars around the corner, you know, stopped us and, you know, wanted to search the car and all that kind of stuff and everything. And I'm like, look, you know what we got in there? Here's the receipt. And the sergeant, you know, uh, just told the high strung cop, hey, just let him go. You know, so, yeah, you're, you're, you're right. But as you know, those were our weapons of choice back in the day because that's what was out there the ar-15s and that sort of thing and i agree and, with and we are we are going to have to leave it there gentlemen uh fascinating fascinating history fascinating perspective and thank you both um uh, for sharing your uh your perspectives and your journeys with us and that's our show Thanks to our guests, and thanks to you for watching Studio Sacramento. I'm Scott Syfax. See you next time right here on KVIE. Thank you for listening to Studio Sacramento from KVIE Public Television. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes to help others find it. All episodes of Studio Sacramento, along with other KVIE programs, are available to watch online at kvie.org slash video.